Amen. All right, well, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I just thank you for gathering us here today. May your word penetrate our hearts and minds and be fruitful from this day forward. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You know, there's a lot of things happening in, in the world that are disturbing. Uh, the UN has said that no time in history has more people lived under conflict as a percentage of the world than today. 25% of people today live under some kind of oppressive conflict. That is huge. That is huge. And guess what? Christians are one of the most persecuted groups. In fact, it is through statistics we have learned it is the most persecuted group globally. Globally. Over 5,600 Christians died last year because of what they believe. That's 15 Christians every day die. So today, by the end of the day, 15 Christians died because they believe in Jesus Christ. The British government and the BBC published that in some parts of the world there is a genocide against Christians where flourishing Christian communities that once existed are now disappearing through oppression and conflict and being targeted. And you might say, well, there's other groups as well. But let me point this out to you today, and this is a fact. This was actually announced by the United Nations in 2019. Out of all the people in the world who die for what they believe, out of all of them, 80% are Christians. 80% are Christian. It is, it is bad, and, and these statistics are tracked by independent groups, the United Nations, the U.S. government. In fact, the number of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, whether we consider them evangelical or Catholic, whatever it is, but those that, that believe that Jesus Christ exists, he's a son of God, and follow a belief system in him, they estimate that 360 million Christians, 360 million Christians, are under some kind of harassment and oppression worldwide. That is huge, guys. Huge. But it reminds me of something. So I'm not going to be talking about something that you might think I'm going to be talking about. But it reminds me of something so important. Because if you think that this is new, it's not. In fact, this has been going on for a long time. And it sounds very similar to what happened in the early days of the church. Very, very similar. In fact, what is happening today if you read the early history of the church, sounds very, very familiar. In the early days when the church was growing and the apostles were preaching the word of God, there were many people who were starting to come to Christ. And at first it started off in the synagogue. So first the persecution started within the Jewish community. But after the Jewish people had um, thrown away any protection to the Christians because from a Roman perspective, the Christians were just a sect of the Jews. But as soon as the Jews rejected Christians as being a sect of the Jews, they lost the protection of Rome. And so Christians became persecuted as an illegal religion. For years and years Two, three hundred years. That is why when you go visit some of these countries like Rome, in the catacombs, you have drawings on the walls. And in caves, because Christians actually had to meet in hiding. 
And there are places in the world today where that is the case. And so I ask, there's so much suffering. There's so much suffering. But there was so much suffering then. But how is it that there's so much suffering, so much victory came out of that? How is it that with so much suffering, so many people came to Christ? How is it that with so much suffering that Paul declared we are more than conquerors? And so I don't want us to rest on the suffering that is going out there. Because guess what? It is there. No matter even what culture thinks that Christians are privileged and we have everything we want, the statistics prove that we're not. But the reality is that the more we're persecuted, the more that we have to endure suffering, the more that they try to quiet us, the more the Lord will be glorified. Amen? Amen? And I really want to look at the church in its first few years of infancy today, this morning, and really present you a picture of what was going on. But I want to do it through a particular perspective. And we know the sufferings of Christ. He's central to everything we are. But there is one other individual that we know more about than any other except for Jesus in the New Testament. And this person is, is someone who a lot of detail has been put in, who wrote most of the New Testament. Amen, Paul. And his example is an example for us to look at. He wasn't perfect. He came from a very different background. But today I'd like to dive deeply with him, what he believed, and what he can teach us. Are you ready? I have lots of scripture. So if you have a Bible, you better open it and get ready. Because I have so much scripture for you this morning. Because this is more like a teaching, preaching lesson. But this is going to really be powerful because it's going to really teach us about something. Victory under suffering. It It is what the church did. And Paul exemplifies that in such a big way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's start. Let us start. All right. Acts chapter 8 verse 3. So who was Paul? Paul was Saul. He was first Saul. That was who he was known by. And, and we, we get to know a few things about Saul. I'm going to read some scripture. Just give you some background on who this guy was. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Okay, here is Saul. Who is Saul? Let me tell you about Saul. Saul is this guy who was a Roman citizen by birth. By birth. He came from a place called Tarsus, And it was a Roman city. And it was a well-off Roman city. And he was born there. He was privileged. He was well-off. He was powerful. And he was influential. People were afraid of Saul. People respected Saul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was looked up. And when he would go to the synagogue, people took notice. When he asked for letters to go and persecute the Christians in Damascus, the chief priests and the entire synagogue more than happily gave it to him because they knew that he could get it done. This is Saul. Acts 6.13 even says Saul was present when Stephen, who was wrongly accused, he was there. He was there perpetuating the stoning and killing of Stephen. In Acts 22, when he was brought forth by trial at the end of Acts, it says, I, this is Paul saying, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. 
This is Saul. I mean, this guy had it all. He had power. He had money. He had influence. Man, if he had kept going, he would have been the high priest himself. So what happened? He was taught by one of the best. What happened? Well, we know what happened. Let's read Acts 26, 12. This was a turning point, a very important turning point. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus, 26, verse 12. Acts 26, verse 12. With the authority and commissioning of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So here he is, here's Saul, this guy with a lot of power. He's probably feeling really good for, you know, about himself. I'm doing God's work. I know the law inside out, and I know these guys are crazy, and I got to put them away. I got to deal with them. That's what he's thinking. He's on his road to Damascus, ready to bring people back and put them in prison. And all of a sudden, a bright light just knocks him to the ground. And a voice calls out to him, why are you persecuting me? But isn't it interesting, you see, when the Bible actually puts something in there that looks a little bit odd, we need to take note. And the odd little thing that's there is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what a goad is? A goad is a long stick. And at the end is usually a sharp, pointed, metal piece. And you know what, a, what you use a goat for? You use them for oxen. You know how the shepherd has that imagery of using, you know, the shepherd, the stick, you know? They sort of get the sheep in line, you know, because they sort of go all over the place and you have to sort of sometimes save them, the shepherd's staff. Well, a goat is what they use for oxen. So here is the Lord saying, I've been goading you, Paul. And in the way that the sentence is phrased, is saying that this moment in Paul's life isn't the first time that God has been dealing with Saul. You see this? It's past tense and it happened multiple times. Think of what a goat is. If you're an ox, you're pulling something, a plow or a carriage, and you don't want to move, you know what a goat is? In the back of the leg. And you know what the kicking is? Sometimes the oxen were as, were as stubborn as donkeys and they would kick back, and so you'd have to poke them a few more times to get them going. So here's what, I'm paraphrasing what this means is, okay, you big ox, you're stubborn. I've poked you a whole bunch of times, now get moving. And here's Paul. Probably the, the strongest goad with the sharpest strike that happened that knocked him to the ground. And that's what it took to stop Saul and turn him into Paul. And I, I guarantee you that many of us have been there. I have. It took a very strong goad from the Lord to push me into realizing the truth. And many of us need to be goaded because we can be as stubborn as oxen. Right? Let's admit it. And some of us out of zeal for wanting to serve the Lord in a very religious way. But here is Paul being goaded. Ecclesiastes 12, 11 says, the words of the wise are like goads. 
The words of the wise are like goads. Goads are the types of things, and there's a saying in the Greek and Latin world that said that, you know, when you're goaded by words or by phrases by the wise, take them. In other words, when discipline comes, don't be defensive because wise words are meant for your benefit. Even in 1 Timothy 5.18, when, when Paul is talking about, you know, Timothy deserving or people deserving of, of their income, he's referring, don't, don't muzzle an ox. Because oxen were seen as the, the strong sort of laborers. But sometimes these strong laborers need to be goaded. And Paul was goaded. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is very interesting. It took the goading to change the path. And sometimes it takes goading to change our paths. To follow Christ, but in many times, even as we are, as Christians, we need to be goaded sometimes to correct our paths. Amen? And here's something very interesting. I'm not going to take you through all of this scripture, but in scripture sometimes, you know, like back in, in, in the days when they, when they wrote these letters, they didn't have chapters and verses like we do. Um, it wasn't that easy. So what they did is they used some techniques to try and, and, and provide some kind of structure. And sometimes, we see this in Genesis a lot, but we also see this in the book of Acts. And today I'm going to show you something. Sometimes they'll use synonyms to actually separate two ideas. And in the book of Acts, they use a a synonym for road, journey, the way. Okay? So there's, there's two words that can represent road, a journey, or a way. And in the Greek, there are two words. One is actually used to describe when you're on a path that is not of God. And the other synonym is used to describe when you're on a path that is in the will of God. But in our English Bibles, we sort of miss that because it always says journey or way. But I'm going to show you something today that's interesting because right after it talks about Paul being goaded, I saw this. In scripture and just like Jesus said there are two ways and so Paul was presented with two ways and you will notice that in the scripture there is a word called pereo and in Acts 9 3 to 4 if we go to Acts 9 chapters 3 to 4 you will see something now he went on his way he approached Damascus now while he is on his way approaching Damascus Is he doing that to do the God's will? No, he's not. He's not at all. And you see that word on his way in some of your Bibles it might say journey? That is the word pereo. And it's used in Acts 22, 6 to 8, Acts 26, 12 to 14, when it describes Paul on a journey or on a way or somewhere, going somewhere, where it's out of his own will, on his way, or doing something that is not of God's will. However, when Paul is actually doing the work of God, as in Acts 9.17, he is being brought to correction after he has been thrown off onto the ground. It changes to the word hodos in Greek. And the word hodos in Greek is also the way to describe Christians in the Bible. In Acts 26.14 and Acts 22.4, Paul describes Christians as the way. The people of the way. And that word hodos, now, after Paul's conversion, every time he talks about a journey, hodos is used. And so what the author is saying is showing that you can divide Paul's life by just using these two words. And if you would take your, 
if you were to take this scripture and take all the words ascribed to Paul that use one versus the other, you will see all the ones that describe his life before as Saul and all of those described as Paul. Why would Luke do that? Because many people believe that Luke is the one who wrote Acts. Why? Because he wants to make a point. And the point here is, is that you have a path that you can choose and go your own way. And there's a path that God wants to goad you on. But are you willing to submit to that path? Because it does take goading. It does. And sometimes the suffering is the goading. Sometimes the suffering is the goading. And sometimes God puts us on a path where things are uncomfortable, where we might not understand, where we're suffering. And so sometimes suffering has nothing to do with persecution, but with goading. And so we look at the suffering. You really want to look at suffering? Now let's look at suffering from the perspective of Paul. If there's anybody who suffered, Paul was one who suffered. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at what Paul went through, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here is Paul. Now some of you might think, wait a minute. So, so Julio, you're telling me that Saul, who used to be Paul, used to have money, prestige, power, influence, could do almost anything he wanted, was on a career path to becoming very powerful and influential. People couldn't touch him because he was a Roman citizen. In fact, when the Jews tried to seize him, he just had to say, I'm a Roman citizen, and the Romans would be scared. And he chose a path that gave him this in contrast. Verse 24. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Five times. Can you imagine? You get tied up to this block with your hands and somebody whips you 39 times. Five times in his lifetime. Then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Can you imagine? Three times beaten with rods for what he did and what he believed. Once he was stoned, left for dead. On frequent journeys, it says here, he had to contend with danger from thieves, from the wilderness, shipwrecks, he got bitten. I mean, you look at this guy's life before and after he became a Christian, and you're going, my goodness. Even with all that goading, was it worth it? I mean, before he was a Christian, there were no, there was no lashes, there was no rods, there was no days going hungry, there was no shipwrecks. Life was good. Life was awesome. I mean, if anybody is sort of living the American dream or the Canadian dream, it would have been Saul. Right? And he gave all of that up for this? Was it really worth it? You might say. And many of us, and there are many people out there, probably go through that struggle. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I won't be able to do this or that. You know, I might have to give up some things. I have to give. Mm. I've never donated before. I can just see all of the things that we would struggle with. Because they're all the things I struggled with when I became a Christian. Or contemplating being a Christian. So I was there, and I was a young adult. I was making money, and I knew exactly what I was struggling with. And I'm going to myself at that time, is it really worth it? 
And here's the, here's the thing. For those of us that remember that moment when we surrendered to God, for those of us who remember what it was like to maybe come to the front and cry on your knees and just pour out your heart. At that moment, you know that it was all worth it. No matter what happened in the future. Because at that moment, something alive in us comes to life in such a strong way, something that we've never experienced. A spiritual sense, an acknowledgement from God. We become spiritually alive. And at that moment, nothing could tear us away from that feeling. Nothing. And so if you ask yourselves, was it worth it for Paul to have gone through everything? The answer is yes. Wholeheartedly yes. And you see, Paul never accepted defeat. Look at how many times he was beaten. Every time, he just kept going. Every single time. He didn't accept defeat. The only person he surrendered to was the Lord. But to anybody else, he never surrendered. He kept going. If he was in chains, he kept going. If he was brought by a group of people who were going to stone him, he just kept talking. There was nothing that would stop him. Nothing. So there must have been something driving him. And it was that, that moment that he finally realized after the scales had fallen off his eyes and he had heard the truth and he accepted Jesus as his Lord. When that moment came, nothing in the world mattered anymore. Nothing, nothing. And so, for all his suffering, all his suffering, it was meaningless. In fact, he came to start to realize that the life that he had as Saul was probably a farther greater suffering than him as Paul in physical suffering. When we have become Christians, we realize how much spiritual suffering we were going through. Emotional suffering. That doesn't mean that the hardships stop. They continue. But when we have the presence of the Lord, it is by. There's no equivalent. No equivalent. And so was Paul a victim? Yes, he was a victim. And so I want to talk about that today. Was Paul a victim? Oh, yes. Paul was a victim, but he refused to continue to be victimized. Did Paul have scars? Oh, you bet. If you took off his, his jacket, 96 slashes on his back, it probably didn't even look like skin. He had scars. Did he have emotional scars? You bet. You bet. He even suffered and cried to the Lord. Please take this away from me. And what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. People betrayed him. People walked out on him. But did it stop him? No. Paul never accepted defeat. Paul never surrendered to only one person. Paul kept on going. He was a victim, but he never, ever accepted to stay a victim and to live a victimized life. Let me explain something. I've been a victim. I've been a victim of something very terrible, and I have scars. I do. And when you've been hurt by someone either close to you or someone not close to you, in a very deep and ugly way. You'll have scars. Because you see, our body, our minds are physical. And those scars will stay with you. 
And that is the state of being a victim of something that has happened to us. But that doesn't mean that we have to live in that victim state. And that is what Paul understood. And that is what kept Paul going. And you and I don't have to stay in that victim state. You can be liberated from being a victim of things that have happened to you in life. Just like Paul did. With all the suffering that Paul went through. With all the suffering that you have gone through. You don't have to stay a victim. You can be liberated. Accept no defeat. You see, Satan is the one. We have a spiritual warfare. Satan is the one that wants to remind you of what happened to you. Satan is the one that wants to keep you in chains for what happened to you, what someone said to you. And now, if you live in a victimized state, you either can't forgive, you can't come to a sense of what happened and why it happened to you. And so what's the Lord saying? What's the Lord saying? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. It says, so we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't be defeated. What God has given us is a power to overcome. And the most important healing that God wants to give us is salvation and spiritual healing. And that is what we need. And throughout life, this is what's going to happen. Satan's going to come around and he's going to say, oh, I know you have a scar there. He's going to go to that scar and he's going to poke. Ouch. Ouch. He's going to do that to you. He's going to poke you in areas that are going to bring back memories, bring back pain, and he's going to want you to stay in that state. Because if you are in a victimized state, he basically has made you unuseful. You need to get out of that state, regardless of what happened to you, because it's preventing you from actually living the life that God has in store for you. It's actually preventing you from actually soaring like an eagle and living to your truest potential that God has called you to. And that, and that scar can be the fear of, of money, could be the fear of commitment. It doesn't have to be something that somebody did to you. It could actually be your own wound that you've created a victim of yourself because of the fear. Whatever it is, it is holding you back. But the Lord has a goad. And he's prodding it. He is poking it. Because he doesn't want you to remember the things that are stopping you from moving forward. Right? Because the goad was meant to actually make you go forward. The oxen didn't want to move. When we're victimized, we come to a standstill. When we realize we're victims, but we can overcome. And the Lord is goading us. Why would the Lord goad us? Because he's given us the ability and the power to obtain healing spiritually. Even despite the fact that those memories don't go away, every time that you are, you are prodded in that painful state, you can call out to Christ. Isn't that what Paul did? He prayed every time he was in prison. He was probably as he was getting the lashes. What about Stephen? What did he do as he was being stoned? He was moving forward even in death. Amen. Even in death. It's funny, you know that those two words, hodus, the way, it even talks about when the eunuch, it uses the word hodus, not perusio. Because it was, it was guided by God. When you're on the right path, when you've taken the right path, 
the power of God is with you in a strong way. But Satan's going to try and poke you to go on the wrong path. He's going to poke those scars. He's going to bring back memories. But you have to act fast. You can't just sit there. You know, like, it, it's kind of interesting how the scripture goes when, when Paul said, Lord, why do, you, why do you allow me to suffer? You know, the Lord's response was kind of short. My grace is sufficient for you. That's the explanation. That's the explanation. It's that easy. It's hard humanly, but the answer, the solution, is a very simple solution. Call on God's grace. But when we don't, when we sit back and allow our suffering to take hold in our lives, we become inept. We hurt our relationships. So unfruitful, people get hurt. Why do we remain in that state? Why do we remain in that state? So do not lose heart. Let's continue. Though our outer self is wasting away. Is it Paul? Though our outer self is wasting away. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So as this body dies, if we keep living by grace, it keeps growing stronger every day. In fact, the more the body dies, the more the will of the body dies, the more we live. The stronger we get. What did Paul say? God's strength is shown in my weakness. So who cares if you have a weakness? In fact, let it come out because God will shine through that. God will shine through that. Let's continue. For this light momentary affliction, you see that? Here, Paul, light momentary affliction. When you have the Spirit of God in you, you know, there are times that Paul struggled with that, but when you have the Spirit of God in you and he is in a strong way, it's like a momentary affliction. It's temporary. It's temporary. The affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That suffering, that wasting away, that dying is preparing us for something much bigger is preparing us for something much bigger in this life. That's why you need to be goaded. And today I'm hoping that you're being goaded, that something is prompting you to think the Spirit of God is touching your heart and your mind. Am I holding back? Am I not moving forward? Am I letting something of my past hold me back? Am I letting fear hold me back? I hope today you're being goaded and goaded really, really hard. Even for those of you who've been here a long time, maybe there's something that God wants you to start or do differently. And he's goading you now. Let us die to self. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. Now, here, just to step back actually, he talks about something of the future. And here's what it is. As our bodies die, our bodies need to die because those scars, like on the scars of Paul's back, those scars that we have, maybe you have scars that are physical, but those scars, even the emotional ones, the ones that are entrenched in our memory of things that happened to us, those are going to die. When this body dies, the things that have been done to me, the things that I suffered as a child, not by my parents, but the things I suffered as a child die with it. And you see, Paul says in Philippians 3.21, it says that I will receive a glorious body. A glorious body. And in Revelations, it says that I'm going to have a new name, just like Paul. I'm going to go from Julio to, I don't know what. But I'll have a new body. The scars will be gone. And I'm on this journey now. 
The Hogo's journey, the journey that God has put us on, the journey that God has put you on. And in that journey, you're learning to die to self and live for Christ and allow the Spirit to become stronger in your life. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And that is part of our problem as victims. We, we look to the physical for solutions. We look to the physical. I'm not saying that there's, there's anything wrong with seeking medical help. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But if you're dependent on that becoming the solution for your life, let me tell you, most medical help in this world is like taking an aspirin. It'll dull the pain, but it won't heal you. Not of those deep scars that I'm talking about. It won't heal you. Only one person can heal you. And sometimes God uses secular medicine to help us on the way. I know he does. And that is fine. And you should seek it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should. But that is just part of your journey. That is not your solution. That is not going to be your permanent solution. That is not going to be your strength to go on. And that's what Paul is talking about here. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The pain you have is transient and momentary, is what Paul is saying. Don't depend on it. Don't let it control you. Don't let it control you. Don't let it take you. Paul goes on, Galatians 2.20. And this is, this is a key here. This is a key. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And he says, this is, we all know this scripture. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is a declaration. Can you make that declaration? I ask you, can you make that direction, to get declaration today? You need to make that declaration. In fact, maybe that is something that you should take and use to remind yourself, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is something we should remind ourselves all the time. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see how Paul talks? My life now is not my own. The journey is no longer my own. The decisions I make are no longer my own. The scars I have are no longer my own. My family is no longer my own. My career is no longer my own. My child is no longer my own. My money is no longer my own. Don't worry. I'm not asking you to sell everything and give it to the church. Have you given everything up? Everything. Your family. Are you willing to give that up? And God, God is not just interested in the big things, even the little things. I, uh, I used to have this little dog a long time ago, a long time ago. A little chihuahua, my first no, my second dog, my second dog. And Helen and I didn't have kids yet, and so we had this little chihuahua. And um, my mother-in-law, who's Korean, as you know, loved the dog. Every time we'd bring, her name was Conchita, you know, every time we'd bring Conchita over, she was given the princess treatment, every time. And so Conchita would come over, we'd drop her off in the morning, because um, sometimes, you know, if we were away from the house for too long, it was good for her to have somebody to be with her. And so my mother-in-law would take her. The first thing that she would do is she would give Conchita a bath, really good bath, the best, best shampoo she had. And then she put some kind of powder or cream or something to make her fur fluffy. And, you know, chihuahuas are small, right? So there's not a lot there, a lot, a lot further. And then when we would come over, 
every time you'd smell the dog, and it was like, this isn't the smell of a dog. This is, like, this is like a, a doll or something. She was treating it more like a doll than she was like an animal. And so I never said anything. I wouldn't do that to my dog, but you know what? She wanted to do something special. But one day, Conchita uh, didn't want to be with her. And she left the door slightly open. And you know, chihuahuas are small, so it just takes that much of a gap for her to get out. And we came home, and my mother-in-law thought that Conchita was on her pillow sleeping. And Conchita was gone. And we went around the neighborhood. We went everywhere, calling out her name. Helen and I going up and down the streets with our car, everywhere. We just kept looking for Conchita. We started to get disheartened. We started to get disheartened. And then we started putting up posters, you know. We would, went to the photocopier, photocopied picture, went around the entire neighborhood. I don't know how many. I must have put up 100. Over a little dog. You might think, you're crazy, Julio. You, don't know, you know what? God created us to love animals. Just read Genesis and take care of them. There's, some, there's a connection there, right? Some more than others. So here we are, we're like, so Helen does one thing, this one thing, and, uh, and, and she says, we need to let go. We need to give up the dog because it's not our own. It is God's creation. So we prayed, and we said, Lord, forgive us for being so worried and running around for two days and, you know, putting up posters when we could have been doing other things. And we say, Lord, we give this dog over to you, and if you take the dog, take the dog. If somebody else has the dog, may they be blessed by the dog. And we give it over to you. And we went on with our day, and we said, that's it. We let go. We sought God's grace. We felt a peace that morning, and we went through all our day, and we said, that's it. No more dog, but it's God's will. We just keep going. And sometimes we do that, and it is God's will that things are lost, and maybe for a reason. Sometimes it's something as simple as a Bible. Maybe somebody will pick it up. Sometimes it's something serious that you thought should never have been lost. But guess what happened when we got home from work? We got a call. By the way, did you lose a little chihuahua? We went there, we grabbed her, she stunk. She had been on the streets for two days. Apparently, they, they, there's this one family that found her, but they, they weren't a dog-loving family, but they really liked Conchita, but they left her outside, and then she went around. And then some cops found her, and they were traveling around in the cruiser with, so this is, this is the animal control, they're telling me this story. They're traveling around the cruiser for a little bit with, with our little chihuahua. And then finally they brought it to animal control and they said, I think this belongs to somebody because of the collar and the poster. And they called us. See, God taught us a lesson that day, a very simple lesson. <laughs> that in the big things and the little things, we need to give it all to him. Amen? And he cares about the little things. He does. He cares about every little thing about us. It's, just not, the, it's not only the big things, but the little things in life. And he doesn't want us to fret over it. He wants us to depend on his grace. And if we've lost it, we've lost it. But if it's his will for us to regain it, he will provide. Do we trust him in the wisdom to allow God to make those decisions? Do we trust him? We have to. Because we don't see the future, he does. He knows whether our loved ones will come to Christ or not. He knows what will happen to our brothers and sisters around the world. He knows. He's there. He knows they're suffering. I'll give you an example. Through the suffering that is happening in places like Algeria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, places in Africa where there's much suffering. You see churches being attacked in Nigeria and other places. 
God will make himself known. Because remember earlier I was telling you about those reports of those areas where it's like a genocide against Christians? Well, you know what's happening is, is yes, there are a lot of Christians who lived there and followed Christ and are being driven out. But you know what God is doing? He's raising up new Christians. And there are underground churches popping up in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Algeria, in Africa. They are popping up all over the place. Because you cannot defeat God. And even though they try to scatter us, they will not defeat the Lord's will. And so there are churches growing up amongst all that suffering. All that suffering. There are churches growing up and they're expanding and multiplying. I've told you about my, my friend that I went to school with. He runs a charity where he, he goes to all these places where you can get killed if, you, if you're a Christian or seen converting a Christian. And he's very effective that uh, some, some countries like Egypt don't even let him come in anymore. He's on the don't, don't admit list. He'd show up at the airport and they say, you got to go back. You can't be here. And so now he has to send other people because he's being barred. But you know, he tells me all these stories, these amazing stories of people who are in a country where if you convert to Christianity, you can get killed. So what they do is they go to swimming pools. I told you the story. Go to swimming pools and get baptized in swimming pools. That God and his wisdom will goad us in the right direction. It doesn't have to be a model like, you know, we have this wonderful, and, and don't get me wrong, I love this baptismal tank. It's a great baptismal tank. But God is going to find ways to baptize people even when people try to stop And there are some of you here that maybe haven't taken that step. Well, I think God is goading you that you should consider taking that step. There is a path that God has called us to. There's a path that you need to take. There's a healing that you may need. There may be some things that you need to accept and take on. God is goading you like he goaded Paul. And yes, there are consequences. Yeah, there are consequences to becoming a Christian. There are. But life is far better than the external things that we give up or lose. The spiritual presence of the Lord cannot be exchanged for anything. Anything. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Is Paul talking like a defeated person? No way. Did Paul have scars and pain? Betrayals? You bet. But he knew this. God is for us. Jump down to verse 37 of the same chapter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nothing can separate you. Nothing. And if you don't have that assurance, if there's been something holding you back, God is goading you today. Whether you're online or you're here, God is goading you today. There is a a story of a pastor I was reading about, a Shiite Muslim pastor. Very similar to, to Paul's life. And, and he goes on to say that he was so zealous for God that he became extra religious. And, and in terms of his Muslim faith, he, 
he became an imam, and he knew all of the scriptures as a Muslim. He was teaching, and the more he wanted to know God, the more that he went into it, but something was missing. So someday somebody slipped him a Bible. I don't know, maybe somebody lost the Bible. And despite everything that he had been taught his whole life, he decided to pick it up and read it. And he cried out to God and says, God, if you're real, make yourself known. God sees the heart, right? Jeremiah 17, right? God sees the heart and tests the mind. He made himself real and he became a Christian. And now in his country, he has to be extremely careful. But he would never go back. He would never go back. I just read a story in the Wall Street Journal about a pastor in Africa who became a Christian, was formerly, formerly an imam like him, became a Christian, was invited to his uncle's house thinking, oh, they're, they're warming up to me. They're accepting me as a Christian. Was dragged into the house, almost beaten to death, and burned scarred on his legs, burned to keep him from walking and spreading the gospel. You talk to him after, what is he doing? He's still going from village to village spreading the gospel. He has physical scars. And he may have emotional scars from the fact that his family has rejected him, but he keeps going. And that is what God is asking us. We have to keep going. We can't look back. We can't allow the poking of Satan on our scars hold us back. We can't let that happen. Can't let that happen. So I ask you today, what path are you on? Have you taken that path? What path are you on? Do you know the path that you're on? Or maybe you've been on the path, but lately you felt like uh, I don't know if I'm on the path right now. Maybe I've gotten off the path that I should have. Maybe I'm allowing some things that I fear, some things that have happened to me in the past, hold me back. Please stand. I ask this question of you today. And I want you to seriously contemplate it. God understands that we can become victims of this fallen world but he doesn't want you to be living a life where you continue to be held back for what has happened to you. God is goading you today. God is goading you today. Second Corinthians chapter four verses eight nine it says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. That's the kind of courage God wants in your life and in your heart. He is calling you today to come forth and to lay down those things that are stumbling blocks in your life. If you were a victim of something and it's holding you back and you feel that it's been holding you back and coming back to you and keeps on plaguing you, you need to deal with it today. You have to deal with it today. If this is the first time you're hearing that God can deliver and bless and love you just like he did Paul that God can take someone who did so many evil things and still love them if you have not understood that and understand that today you need to make a decision if you were a Christian for many years and maybe that feeling that first love is maybe growing cool maybe God is goading you to take a step in a direction that maybe you've been avoiding 
Whatever it is, God is calling you today. And as Josh leads us in worship, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask the victims that need to be released, the victims that need to be freed and given the hope. And it's okay if you've been a Christian for 20 years or two years. It doesn't matter how long. Sometimes we didn't even realize it until later in life that there were things holding us back. And then for others who maybe God is poking you to become on a new path, come forward. Let the pastors pray for you. Let us pray for you. Let us hear your confession. And let us pray for you. Amen. Josh. Josh.